I've got an all-star panel with me. Jen Hatfield and Jacqueline LeBlanc are here to discuss the new era in WNBA front offices. That means new head coaches, new assistants, and a different structure in terms of how the rest of basketball operations departments function in the WNBA. The Locked On Women's Basketball podcast starts right now. Ogumba Wallet for the win. You are Locked On Women's Basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Alrighty, hello and welcome. You are locked on women's basketball. I'm Jackie Powell. I am one of your Friday hosts this fall. I cover the New York Liberty here at the Next and I help with our social media strategy. And I've covered women's basketball nationally at Bleacher Report, Sports Illustrated, W Slam, and many other places. Thank you for making Locked On Women's Basketball your first listen every day. And remember, Locked on Women's Basketball is brought to you by everyone at the Next. So the people I have here with me, Jen Hatfield and Jacqueline LeBlanc, they work with me at the Next. Jen is our Mystics beat reporter, Ivy League beat reporter, and managing editor. And Jacqueline is on the Connecticut Sun beat. But anyway, just a reminder, at the Next right now, we are doing what we are calling our triple-double sale, and that is going on through November 21st. You pay just $3 for the first month. That is a 67% discount from what you would normally pay for the month. And also, Locked on Women's Basketball, this pod, it is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many more. And today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. So, what's the roadmap for today? So, on today's show, first we're going to talk about the most recent shufflings, what we sort of call the coaching carousel in the WNBA, and what all of this really means. Then we're going to talk specifically about the coaching changes for the Mystics and the Connecticut Sun on both of Jacqueline and Jen's beats. And then we're going to end the show talking about these changes and this whole class of young executives coming up. And we'll talk about what we think the Connecticut Sun need in a new general manager. Um, So, hello. Thank you all for being here. This is this is an all-star panel. Um, as I said before, there's been a front office carousel, really. I mean, it's either people shifting or you have people getting promoted up the ladder. I mean, Cheryl Reeve stayed in, in Minnesota, but she got promoted. Latricia Trammell, she hopped from L.A. to Dallas. Christy Sides hopped from Atlanta to Indy. And then there's Kurt Miller, formerly of the Connecticut Sun, who went to L.A. And Mike Tebow is now making way for his son, Eric, to be the Mystics head coach. And to add to that, you have former assistant coach Brandy Poole joining Latricia Trammell in Dallas. Literally, what was it, like five minutes, two minutes before we hopped on? that news broke. So, so much has happened in the two months since the final buzzer that sounded at the WNBA finals. So I think where I want to start with the two of you is what have the two of you noticed this offseason when it comes to this coaching and front office carousel? Like, why do we think this is happening now? I can start. I, I just think that, you know, it's it's been such an active offseason 
And that's great for the WNBA, staying top of mind for fans in this period, which is typically kind of the down part of the calendar before free agency ramps up in 2023 and the draft coming up. We just had the draft lottery, but that's kind of the the high watermark generally for the for the fall period. But instead, this year we've had all of these changes. It's very exciting. It's it's kind of like you see in men's sports being really year round and I've heard lots of coaches over the years talking about how important that year-round interest is. And so I think it's a very promising sign uh, for the league that we have it. Yeah. I And and Jacqueline, I'm curious about your thoughts too before I pipe in. But Yeah, I mean, definitely all of that. What I echo what Jen said. It makes for a very exciting off-season. I think a very interesting trend, um, specifically con- uh, pertaining to like the Connecticut Sun. But I think it's interesting how head coaches are kind of now moving organizations. Um, what was it before last season? You had Nikki Collin leaving the dream before the season started to go to um, Baylor, where she is right now. Um, Stephanie White, who is, of course, reported to be the next head coach for the Connecticut Sun. Steph White was last in the W in 2016. She was with the Indiana Fever, and then she left to go to Vanderbilt. So now I think it's really interesting that you're kind of having this league parallel movement instead of kind of moving out of the league, which I think is good for the growth. Um, And then just, you know, I'm sure we'll pop into this more in more detail as well. But um, I think it's a very interesting trend that more WN previous WNBA players are getting opportunities at head coaching positions, which of course would... um, pertain to Steph White, who is a former W player herself. So that's very interesting. And then I know we'll talk about general managers as well, but I feel like that is also another really interesting trend of kind of separating those two positions, which I know Jen can speak with for for the mystics, which also just happened. But I feel like, you know, five years ago, take count of who was a head coach and who was also the team's general manager. Now I feel like the league is kind of separating those positions, which is definitely super interesting. As it should, as it should be. This is how it should be. This is, or that's my opinion, to be quite honest. Um, To me, what that means is it means that the league is growing and that there is more capital to have a a fuller front office. Um, The one thing I will add on when it comes to trends, at least, is I think this might have been from Kevin Pelton at ESPN with the Mike Tebow retirement. None of the 12 active WNBA coaches um, held their position prior to 2010, which is, I mean, yeah, we've seen a lot of retirements. We've seen Dan Hughes retire. We've seen Bill Lambier retire and now Mike Tebow. So it's sort of like this younger guard is coming in and the older coaches, you know, the oldest coach in the league is, is Cheryl at 56 years old. That, that's not very old. So there's there's a lot of youth in the coaching movement um, right now. And I think where I want to move this discussion to is looking at where the two teams that you all cover are right now. Um, I think there's some similarities between where the Sun and the Mystics are right now in that there is... There are players signed on for 2023. Both cores are locked in, but they're going to go through some changes because coaches have either moved on or retired. And so you all could correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like both teams have this philosophy of there is enough continuity to still be in a championship window now. And so if you could just explain to me and the listeners what that sort of looks like for both the Mystics and the Sun. So Jacqueline, if you could sort of start with, you know, the the type of continuity that the Sun really want to keep in, in 2023. Right. So like you mentioned, the Suns still will have their core group of veterans for the 2023 season signed on. Um, Their big free agents this season are, are of course, Bree Jones, who is kind of a question mark of herself of where she'll go and how the team will kind of handle her, you know, free agency this season. Um, And then Courtney Williams, who also, you know, 
is a big question mark in their free agency. But other than that, you know, John Paul Jones is coming back. Dewana Bonner signed on. Alyssa Thomas is signed on. Um, you know, Bonner, of course, is getting a little bit older, but Thomas and John Paul Jones and Alyssa Thomas feel like they're still in the prime of their career. They're in the peak of their career. They still have, you know, there's still a lot of urgency, especially after losing in the WNBA finals, being so close last season, even without Jazz Thomas, even with those question marks on offense and, and whatnot. So um, there's definitely a lot of urgency in the organization. The players have been really transparent about it over this last season. They know they have a championship window. They know it's dwindling and the time to win is now. So, you know, with the Sun, it's a real big interesting question of kind of where does this new era of Connecticut Sun basketball go? Like what is Steph White, you know, if Steph White is to take over the Connecticut Sun head coaching position, you know, what is her style of play? What is her vision for the team? What is Rosati's vision for the team? Uh, Connecticut Sun President Jennifer Rosati, who's able to hire this head, new head coach, who's able to hire her first general manager. So where do they take kind of the organization and how do they still kind of keep that urgency? How do they still kind of keep that core intact? Um, because Rosati's been upfront about it. They're not in a rebuild mode. They don't want to be in a rebuild mode. Um, they definitely want to continue the success um, um, that they've built on over the last couple of years of what Kurt Miller has built. Um, and I feel like the time to do it is now, you know, like I said, that core is still there, but John Quill Jones, Dewana Bonner, Jasmine Thomas, they're all on the last year of their contract. If they were to go into a rebuild mode in 2024, that could possibly happen, but I'm sure that's not how Rosati and the organization wants to move forward. So there's definitely still um, probably even more so now just a bigger sense of urgency of um, can the Connecticut Sun finally get that title and, and what is it going to take to finally get it done? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the the Sun were also really close to winning a championship in 2019, but they were stopped uh, in five games by the Washington Mystics. And, and so Jen, I mean, what does continuity look like for the Mystics? And, and what is sort of their plan now that there is a new head coach in place? Yeah, it's kind of funny because, you know, Mike Tebow retiring as head coach, he's remaining the general manager. But when you lose the winningest head coach in WNBA history, it feels like it has to be an end of an era, right? It just it just has to be when when that kind of successful person uh, moves on in any respect. But at the same time, Mike Tebow is remaining the general manager. He's still going to make many of the personal decisions. You know, he's going to make all of them in consultation with his staff. And his son, Eric, who's been coaching with him for 10 years in D.C., is taking over as head coach. Uh, this is the rare uh, staff shakeup, if you will, where no one's actually leaving. Um, they return pretty much everybody from last season. The big free agent is Alicia Clark, um, but Elena Deladon's back, Natasha Cloud's back, Ariel Atkins is back, Maisha Hines-Allen is back, Shakira Austin's back, and they have the number four pick in the draft. So they are set up well there. So this is pretty much like the most continuity in the end of an era that you can have, um, paradoxically. And I think that their plan is really just uh, full steam ahead, not much changes, hit the ground running, contend for a championship. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's again, I am so fascinated by those similarities. But um, we're going to take our first break. But coming up, we're going to talk a little bit more in depth about why the two new head coaches for Connecticut and the Washington Mystics, why these choices make sense. And also we're going to discuss what challenges or why they make sense or why they might not make sense. And then we're going to discuss the potential challenges that both Eric Tebow and Stephanie White might face. Um, but first... Let's talk about Masterclass, and I am really excited to uh, have you all seen the memorable commercials or the infamous Chloe Feynman SNL spoofs where she crafted her absolutely fabulous impressions of Timothy Chalamet, Britney Spears, and Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Well, with Masterclass, you can learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. 
I was actually looking at the different masterclasses on their website, masterclass.com, and I went to the sports category. And who did I see there but none other than 11-time national champion Gino Ariema. And so what do you think Gino teaches? He teaches leadership and how to create a winning team. Shocking. There are hundreds of video lessons from over 180 of today's most brilliant minds, and they're available anytime, anywhere, on iOS, Android, desktop, Apple TV, Amazon Fire TV, and Roku. And an annual membership starts at $180 per year. I absolutely recommend that you check it out. Unfortunately, there is not a Chloe Feynman masterclass where she teaches you how to do impressions. Masterclass, I think that would be fabulous. Um, but this holiday, give one annual membership and get one free. Go to masterclass.com slash locked on today. That's masterclass.com slash locked on. Uh, terms apply. And just for fun, I am going to put those masterclass spoofs in the show notes because they'll make you smile. They made, they made me smile when I watched them this morning. Chloe Feynman will, um, she does not fail to entertain. Anyway, we are back. And thank you for making Locked On Women's Basketball your first listen today. Uh, for your second listen today, check out Locked On Sports Today. From the games that matter, the most, the, the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports Today, available on this app, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, All-Star Panel. Let's let's get into it. Let's talk about what or why these different coaching changes make sense for their respective teams or why they may not make sense. Um, it could it could be either or. So, Jen, let's let's start with you. Why? Why does Eric make sense? He makes a lot of sense for a lot of reasons. Um, he's he's come up under Mike Tebow, first of all, learning the ins and outs that way. It's basically like a an expert level apprenticeship that he's been under ever since he was um, interning with his dad's Connecticut Sun team. There's another Mystics to DC, uh, Mystics to Connecticut parallel is that Mike Tebow used to coach in Connecticut. Um, but you know, Eric has has learned so much under Mike that Mike says that. Eric is a better coach at his current age of 35 than Mike was at age 35. And he's Mike and Eric have both thought that Eric has been ready for this for a number of years, as has the rest of the league. Uh, Eric's been asked to interview or, or has gotten offers for several coaching positions around the league and has turned them down over the past several years, um, opting instead to stay with the Mystics. They've had this uh, kind of succession plan in, uh, in mind for several years. Um, and Mike Tebow has talked about it. It's not, it hasn't been a secret. It was not a surprise that this is how uh, Mike Tebow would pass the baton and that he would slide to general manager. Um, and Eric has always had the respect of players, uh, even when he was their age or younger in Connecticut. Um, he, was, he was respected and liked. Uh, and when Mike came to Washington, you know, he asked some players, should I bring Eric on board? Um, and they said, you'd be crazy not to. Some of his, he has some of his Connecticut players, should I hire him in Washington? And they said, you'd be crazy not to. And so that's kind of how Eric got his first full-time coaching job. And he's been with the Mystics ever since. Um, he's, he's great at X's and O's, watches film with players a ton. You can see him pregame doing that all the time. Has worked with the Mystics guards in particular, helping to shave Natasha Cloud and Ariel Atkins, among others. He just, he just checks all the boxes you want. I think the only the only way that it possibly doesn't make sense isn't even anything against Eric. It's just the fact that it was uh, a foregone conclusion. The Mystics didn't interview anybody else, which is a little bit sticky in this current era. Um, you know, I think there is some criticism online that it feels a little bit like nepotism, which I understand that argument. Eric is also extremely well qualified. So 
Um, you know, but they could have they could have probably closed off some criticism had they considered under other candidates along with Eric and had kind of a fuller hiring process. That's that I didn't think about the nepotism criticism. I mean, when I think about the potential um, challenges that Eric will face, I think about something different. That's really interesting. Now, Jacqueline. You and I have spoken off air about how this maybe didn't, this surprised us when we both heard this news reported by M.A. Bobel. And this was over a week ago. And mm-hmm. there's been nothing from the Connecticut Sun, but we, were, we trust um, M.A.'s reporting. So I guess my question to you is now that you've had a chance to sort of sit with this, how do you feel about this hire? How do you rationalize this hire? Right. Well, you know, like you said, MA reported this last Monday, I believe it was. So I think we're on like 10 days now of still waiting for an official announcement from the Connecticut Sun. So I'm definitely super interested on on when that comes, you know, kind of what's being held up there. Um, But also, you know, just what the organization kind of thinks about Steph White in general. Um, Rosati has, President Rosati has made it very clear that they're not looking for a rebuild. They want to continue the success. You know, there's definitely this urgency there's this championship window um, and it's a loaded roster with a bunch of talent this even you know the core that they have with just John Quell, Alyssa, Dewana, even without Bree Jones like this roster is too talented to, to not succeed in the league um, and another thing that Connecticut has going for them is that they've just been such a consistent consistently successful group over the last couple of seasons like Connecticut is consistently at the top of the league um, so it's very clear that you know a rebuild is, is not what they want and I think it's very interesting that Steph White is kind of jumping back you know in her opportunity to come back to the W kind of jumping back into a similar situation um, compared to her very first WNBA head coaching position um, in Indiana in 2015. So the circumstances are definitely a little bit different, but you know, in 2015, um, Steph White was already on the fever staff and she took over for Lynn Dunn who retired. That team, of course, had a generational MVP in Tamika Catchings. Um, That team was also very defensively focused. They had Brianne January, Tamika Catchings. Um, So that's also kind of similar. This team is all uh, the Connecticut Sun for the last couple seasons have been very defensively focused. Um, That's been a big part of their identity. So interesting to see if that will continue in her tenure. Um, You know, and in her first season with the Fever in 2015, she took the fever to the WNBA championships in her very first season also took them to the playoffs in her second season. So um, I think that part is definitely very interesting and probably, you know, very, um, I guess, very uh, reassuring for, for Rosati and, and whoever has kind of, kind of narrowed down the candidate pool and that, you know, Steph White is not afraid of inheriting a loaded roster and not afraid of the challenge of, you know, not having to, Um, you know, everything, not a lot has to change. There's a lot of consistency there and, you know, not afraid of taking over the task of of inheriting something that's already pretty well built. Um, The other most really interesting thing to me is just Steph White's former WNBA playing experience. Mm -hmm. Um, If Steph White was to be hired, she'd be the fourth WNBA coach for the Connecticut Sun um, and the first who has any sort of playing experience, which see, like I mentioned earlier, is a bigger trend now. Uh, Stephanie White would be the sixth current WNBA head coach who is also a former player, um, which I don't remember what how many years ago it was, but you know, a few years ago we had um, four WNBA head coaches who were women and the rest were all men. So that's another very interesting trend. Jen Rosati, of course, um, is a former WNBA player herself. She mentioned to uh, Christine Butterfield at Hearst, Connecticut, that she was definitely interested in someone who has um, that previous playing experience. So I think that definitely um, is a very interesting thing for for Steph White and definitely a pro for a veteran team that's already very player led um, from within and their veterans. 
you know, some cons, you know, unlike when Steph White took over the fever in 2015. Um, now she's been out of coaching for, for about a year. She's been on ESPN as an analyst. Um, her last coaching gig was at Vanderbilt University, which uh, she t- stepped down from the fever in 2016 to take that position. She mm-hmm. was at Vanderbilt for 2015 for five years and, you know, didn't probably did not go as she wanted it to. She compiled an overall record of 46 and 83 over those five seasons. She had a 13 and 54 record in SEC play. The SEC is, of course, a really hard league to play in, um, but her teams were never able to win an SEC tournament game in that span. They never finished higher than 12th in a 14-team conference standings. Um, and then Vanderbilt parted ways with her in, in April 2021. Um, in those Vanderbilt teams, she also had a lot of kind of like roster instability. She had a lot of top players who who came into the program. She had a lot of good recruiting classes, but then um, lost a couple of those players, lost a lot of top players during her tenure. So, you know, players leave college and leave schools for various reasons. So I don't want to weigh on that too heavily. You know, they all had their own reasons for leaving. Um, But, you know, other than, you know, those two things that I mentioned before, I'm very interested to kind of see, you know, what are the other pros um, for Steph White's case of being head coach? You know, I don't know much about her style of play. We've talked about culture a lot. Don't really know too much about kind of how the culture is being led, but the culture in Connecticut's already very strong and, and very player led. So um, I think they'd really just need someone who's going to be able to go in there and, and kind of connect with the players on a one on one basis, um, but also be able to kind of draw up those winning plays. Um, just thinking back to uh, some of the Suns weaknesses last season, they had a lot of trouble kind of closing not closing out games but closing out games on like those final possessions having a lot of opportunities to win or tie the game um, including in game one of the WNBA finals where you know that they kind of looked very misled and a lot of times in multiple games you know they it seemed like they didn't really know what the play was so um you know lots of lots of interesting things and, and lots of interesting comparisons between her tenure with the sun versus her her previous wnba tenure um but i just think the fact that she's a, a previous wnba player who would be taking over as a head coach um is definitely very appealing and of course um if you have a previous wnba player on your team that would also allow you a third assistant um so i'd be very interested to see if they take the opportunity to, to hire maybe a previous player or, or add an additional person to the, her staff. Yeah. I mean, and Jen, Jen and I were there yesterday when I asked Eric a question about that initiative. And so right when Eric is giving his answer his very thorough and thoughtful answer and talks about that initiative, Mike then interjects and goes, oh, yes, we proposed that initiative a few years ago, (laughs) like very, very matter of factly, like, yes, we are the reason for all of this great change. It was it was quite I I laughed. Um, I was glad that I was muted. But um, I think where I want to continue is, Jen, you know, what makes the decision to go with Eric makes sense in a sense is that he is someone who has functioned within the, the mystics environment for years within the culture. He knows those expectations. And so I guess when I think about potential problems that Stephanie White could face, it's, and Jacqueline sort of alluded to this, It's this notion of culture and how how much of what Kurt Miller was able to do, what did it revolve around culture and around the standards and around the the toughness that he set? I mean, when Howard or our very own Howard Megdahl interviewed Kurt just a few days ago on this podcast. Kurt Miller spoke about how his teams overachieve. That's something that they do. Jacqueline, you said that there were some issues this past season when it came to play calling and people knowing how to run the offense. 
to be quite honest, when you don't have a point guard, that's what's going to happen. You know, being without Jasmine Thomas, I feel like the offense, the, the reason it got stuck in part was because they did not have a point guard on the floor. But I digress. Jen, I think what I want to ask you here is is about the sun. I'm going to do a little bit of a, a cross. Putting me on the spot here. Yes, and then I'm I'm going to do the same with Jacqueline, and and you'll you'll get the the you'll understand the method of my madness here. But what potential problems does a team run into when they have a new coach coming in, and this same core that has been together, and they understand, um, you know, the lay of the land. Is there, what types of problems could Stephanie White run into there when it comes to culture building? Yeah, she'll need to get the buy-in of the team and especially the best players. Um, Eric and Mike Tebow talked about this a little bit yesterday of how important it is to get that buy-in so it doesn't feel like you've got the head coach on one side coming in trying to shake things up and the players on the other side saying, this is how we've always done it and this is what we're good at. You don't want it to be, um, kind of a, a conflict in that way. So, so Steph White's going to have to have to kind of win them over, for lack of a better word. Um, we're kind of in an era of player empowerment, and and players do have it's it's not as you know at all levels of basketball, it's not as top down as it used to be. So it's going to have to be kind of a collaborative, um, you know, maybe can we meet in the middle type of discussion. Um, so I think winning the locker room is is first and foremost as as far as you know. If, if she doesn't do that, that's that's going to derail her. I, I'm pretty confident in saying. Yeah, I mean, for me, when I think of um, potential problems, that's the number one thing that I'm thinking of. And so, Jacqueline, I'm going to now ask you about the the one issue that that keeps coming back to me when I think about Eric Tebow and the Mystics and. I can tell y'all, I saw this um, with my own eyes, and you did as well, Jacqueline, in that what happens when you have an assistant that the same group of players see as an assistant for a long time take over as the head coach? Um, When it comes to changing, I guess, laying a different set of boundaries and getting players to respect you at a different level, For me, I covered the New York Liberty in 2019 in a situation where Katie Smith did not get the buy-in because the players on that team, they viewed her as the assistant coach that they palled around with and that they were very friendly with. And that was quite often the good cop. And so, Jacqueline, what I want to ask you um, is you saw that at some points with Kurt Miller. Brandy Poole and Chris Koklanis, they both stepped in for Kurt quite a bit. So when you think about what you saw there, and when you think about what Eric sort of has to overcome, you know, what do you think he has to do? And and what potential issue do you think that fact raises? Right. Definitely the buy-in, but I think, you know, like Jen mentioned, the consistency that Eric Tebow has with the organization and and these players who are already on his staff definitely helps. Um, You know, there were a few times throughout the season, throughout last season, where um, Kurt Miller was away from the team and either Brandy Poole or or assistant coach Chris Kaklanis had to step in and kind of take over the team. Um, But as like the team culture as a whole in Connecticut, it's at least for the last couple seasons, it's always been a next person up mentality, you know, for the greater good of the team, you know, not focusing more so on your individual role, but doing what's best for the team. When Chris or or Brandy were to take over, it was kind of like nothing kind of missed a beat. You know, they of course have been with Kurt for, for a long time. Like Eric has been with his dad for a long time. Um, You know, they're very film heavy. They're very scout heavy. They're very prepared. And the team kind of knew, you know, it was business as usual, nothing, nothing really different there. So, you know, I think Eric Tebow definitely has that 
benefit of, of consistency and being, you know, with the team for, for such a long time. So, um, you know, definitely buy in and kind of how will he build his own culture? You know, how will he kind of separate himself from, from Mike Tebow, who has such a long storied history in, in the league and with these players themselves. Um, but, you know, kind of what will Eric do to, to separate himself from, from his dad's legacy and kind of start to build his own while also, you know, continuing the, the window that, the Washington Mystics are, are clearly in, especially with their core coming back. So I think that's very interesting. That's a really interesting point. If I can jump in, because I think it's a natural inclination for a new head coach to want to come in and like put their own stamp on things. Right. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how much Eric has that impulse. Um, and if he does, how much he squashes it because he's been so involved with, how Mike and co have, have run the show for years that he basically already has his stamp on it. So it's not like he needs to like go zigzag to like set himself apart because like the Mike Tebow era has kind of been the Mike and Eric show already. Um, so that's going to definitely be interesting to watch to see if we, if we notice any, you know, stylistic differences over and above like the mystics wanting to get better offensively from last year and things like that. Um, I think the issue of will players respond to Eric as the head coach and what is that adjustment like? I actually don't think that's going to be a huge issue at all. I think that's going to be pretty smooth. Um, Eric has stood in as the interim head coach in five games over the past two seasons, um, mostly because Mike Tebow had COVID, but there were a couple other circumstances as well. Um, and I remember very vividly one game uh, early this past season uh, Mike Tebow and Shelly Patterson were both out. So it was Eric and Latoya Sanders, who is now his associate head coach, uh, running the show, pretty much just the two of them. I mean, they had, you know, other, other non-coaching folks supporting them, but, uh, you know, and in the post-game press conference, I asked a player, I won't say who, um, you know, I said, I said, basically, uh, you know, how was it hearing Eric and Toya's voices more than normal? And she kind of just looked at me like I was being weird. And, and she was like, that's the same as it always is like no changes here. Like mm. that's like, we always hear him like no changes here. Um, mm. And so the players are really used to hearing Eric's input. Um, they're used to having him as interim even cause he's done it a number of times. Um, and I think that, you know, there is some like Eric is a little bit more of the bad cop now because he controls playing time in a way that he never has. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I almost think the bigger, the bigger like good cop, bad cop thing that, that I've seen is Mike Tebow has talked about this, like playing both head coach and general manager is tricky because as the GM, you might be having tough conversations about contracts. Um, mm -hmm. And then that can be awkward as a head coach. And Eric doesn't have to deal with that. Like Mike is still the bad cop when it comes to like the money you're making. And I feel <laughs> like that's like kind of a bigger deal. And so the players are used to Eric's voice. I think it's an experienced enough gr group that, like the players understand that playing time fluctuates and, and they kind of trust the process uh, in a like non-tanking way. So I, I think it's going to be pretty smooth personally. So before we move on and before we take a break, I do want to, Jacqueline, I want to ask you about this, this vibe that Jen Rosati sort of gave off in her interview with um, Christine Butterfield. And she was sort of saying like, we want to be, we want to do what Vegas did. Um, I think the quote was, I'm going to make sure that my players feel and know that I'm similarly doing what I can to make sure I put a candidate in front of them that understands that we want to do the same thing Vegas did. And so I saw that and I was like, hmm, is that such a one-to-one -one comparison to make? So I'm curious what you think of that. And if you think Stephanie White is in a position to do what Becky Hammond did, what are the similarities? But most importantly, what are the differences between these two situations? 
I thought that was definitely super interesting as well. Um, you know, I thought a lot about that and they're certainly similar in that, you know, when Bill stepped down or was planning to step down last year, you know, Vegas was a contender. They have a young and upcoming group of, of franchise players who are continuing to get better, who are, you know, the core of their franchise. The Sun are kind of in a similar position as well. You know, they definitely want someone to come in and win now, like Becky did. Um, definitely want someone to come in and who kind of make, I guess, all the players good at, at what they're naturally good at. You know, I think it's very interesting how, you know, of course, the three-point shooting in Vegas was such a difference maker for them this year compared to the Bill Lambier years. Um, but kind of where I think that um, comparison differs is – I think Becky had a lot more fortune in inheriting a more stable group of those franchise players um, who have kind of grown up in the franchise, who still have a couple years um, tied down in the franchise, who, you know, she'll be there for, they'll be there for a couple years. Um, and in Connecticut, you know, they, like I said, they do have that core, but there's just so much potential this off season. And I think there are so many question marks this off season on where is this team going to go? You know, last year they were very busy in the front court and, you know, they didn't have Jasmine Thomas who could really lead that offense and kind of make those decisions on the court with the ball in her hands, which kind of led to their downfall. Um, you know, so I think, you know, the big question mark this season will be where does Bree Jones go and how does Connecticut handle Bree Jones free agency? You know, Bree Jones is on a John Quill Jones path, like <laughs> literally on the John Quill Jones MVP path. She won you know, most improved player. Then she won sixth person of the year. John Quill obviously did both those things and then won an MVP. Bree Jones has the potential to, to be a franchise MVP for someone. Mm -hmm. Will it be in Connecticut or will it be somewhere else? <laughs> you know, I think obviously the, the cap is, is very heavy right now with a lot of really big contracts that are on the books for next year. I think it's possible, you know, if they want to go in a different direction, you know, not considering their backcourt, <laughs> if they want to go all in on Bree Jones, I'm sure they could certainly offer her and see what it takes to, to get her to stay there. Um, but, you know, do they let Bree Jones go? Do they let John Quell Jones or Alyssa Thomas go in order to keep Bree Jones? I just think there's a lot, a lot of questions that are still up in the air that, you know, the new GM will also have to kind of weigh in on. Um, but what direction is, is this franchise going to go? You know, are they going to want to keep their core of Thomas Bonner and, and JJ and kind of invest in kind of bolstering up that offensive backcourt that they didn't necessarily have next year? Um, I just, you know, when Becky came into her situation, I feel like everything was kind of set in stone for for her already and she didn't have to make as many decisions about where she kind of wants this team to go like kind of what their identity will be um, and I think that's just kind of the biggest difference that that stands out to me is there's just still so much um, uncertainty on on kind of what the new era of Connecticut Sun basketball looks like or, or what the organization wants it to look like while still being super successful and um, keeping their core for for the next couple of years. So I think that's definitely the biggest, <laughs> the biggest thing that jumps up to me between Vegas's situation last year and then, you know, the new era of Sun heading into this uh, free agency. I mean, Vegas had a front court overload as well, but Vegas also had a culture and an accountability issue as well. And that was what Becky Hammond was able to fix. Um, you have the aces decided to not resign Liz Cambage and to sort of put the franchise or affirm that the aces are Asia Wilson's team. You also in Connecticut, you have this, what I would call the Alyssa Thomas, Jonquil Jones power struggle, where it's sort of like, okay, JJ is the MVP technically, but why does it seem like Alyssa Thomas is more acting like the most valuable player on that team? So I'll be really curious to see, okay, does Jonquil Jones maybe want out? Does she request a trade? It could happen. 
it could very well happen. What stood out to me in the finals, and then we will head on to our break, was that it was John Quell Jones who came back out and addressed the crowd right after the Sun lost in that game four. It was John Quell who thanked the fans. That's something that your franchise player does. But I don't know. I mean, listen, Alyssa Thomas is is more of an introverted person, right? That's my understanding. But it was just really interesting to me. Um, so anyway, uh, as I said at the beginning of our episode, this show is brought to you by Bet Online, And so I don't bet on sports personally, but I happen to believe that it is very helpful when it comes to the growth of women's sports including women's basketball, of course. And so BetOnline is your number one source for sports betting, info, stats, news, and analysis. Get your latest odds and trends for every pro and amateur league out there, including what the line is for this Sunday's one versus two matchup when South Carolina takes on Stanford on ABC at 3 p.m. Eastern. And if you love sports podcasts like ours... You can find those as well on betonline.net. Head over to the website today and use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. So here we go. Let's talk about um, the young class of executives that are bubbling in the WNBA right now. I mean... Jen, with the Mystics, we just saw uh, Maria, let's hope I can say her last name properly. It is a beautiful Italian last name. Um, Maria Gia, oh gosh. Giovanetti, I believe. Thank you, Jen. Thank you. So Maria was elevated. Uh, She was the assistant GM, and then she was elevated to a vice president role. And so, Jen, you wrote a feature about her earlier in the WNBA season, sort of explaining what she does and why she is so vital and why her mere existence, pretty much, it represents what all front offices should look like in the WNBA. We will put the link to that story in the show notes. It is well worth your time. Um... But Jen, I'm just curious, what um, what can you tell us about the type of executive Maria is? And sort of, is it the idea that when Mike wants to retire from being the GM, the succession plan is for Maria to take that role as well? Yeah, I'll start with your second question because the answer is yes. Um, so now for your first question. Um, so Maria's background is actually really interesting. Uh, she started off with the Mystics um, over 15 years ago as a like game day. One of those one of those people who comes and like volunteers and helps out on game day, like not a full time job, just like pitching in. Um, you can read more about this in the story. But then she got a job in their sales department and she did that for a while. And then she made the leap from the sales side to basketball operations, which is uh, pretty radical. Um, And so she became the director of basketball operations. Um, And that was all before Mike Tebow came to town, just to give you an idea of timeline. So then uh, that coaching staff got fired, I believe. um, And Mike Tebow came in and he interviewed her to, to keep her on and decided to keep her on. And then since then, she's been promoted to assistant general manager. And then now she is both senior vice president and and assistant general manager. Um, So what that means in like normal speak and not basketball operations speak. So if you're familiar with the director of basketball operations at the college level, it's kind of the like do everything, make the trains run person, you know, doing a lot of the like scheduling and figuring out meals and all that stuff that you need to run your program smoothly, but that you don't want to do basically. And so (laughs) Maria did that so well that she got promoted to assistant general manager. And then her job there was basically that on steroids, like that with like more power um, basically. And so now it's actually funny 
you know, we asked her at the press conference yesterday, so what is this new title? What are you doing there? And the responsibilities that she said she's adding are actually more of what it sounds like being a general manager is scouting and, and free agent signings and that sort of thing. So even though she was already the assistant general manager, she's now taking on kind of more GMing roles, if that makes sense. So she's basically uh, the like ultimate woman behind the scenes for the Mystics. I wrote my story on her because I just started to hear, you know, just in casual conversations with players and coaches over the years, you know, when Maria's name would come up, I would just hear like, oh my gosh, she's so great. Like we need her for everything. And then they would just keep going and talk about whatever they were talking about. But I was like, huh, what, what is she, what is she doing? I need to learn more. So um, that's kind of where my story came out and you can read more about her background and why she's so indispensable to them there. But that's kind of the, the uh, pulling back the curtain on Maria. And so what I thought so fascinating about Maria is that she is in this group of young and up and coming executives, you know, the mystics have someone who is very, or I'm sorry, the links have someone who is very much so like a Maria in Claire DeWellius. Uh, when Cheryl Reeve is asked about Claire's role, it, it's pretty much that same, oh my God, where would we be without Claire? That type of jargon and, and speak. And so I guess as a, as a trio in this all-star panel, um, I want us to sort of think about, well, what do the Connecticut Sun need out of a general manager? Because right now, um, this isn't just a coaching carousel. This is a GMing carousel. There are two open general manager spots in the league. Um, the Connecticut Sun have committed to having both a head coach and a GM, which as we said earlier, I mean, that's a sign of progress, a sign of front office expansion and more investment. So what do we think? What type of person or what type of qualities potentially, who are the candidates when it comes to who Connecticut really needs to be looking at? So whoever wants to start, like, let's let's brainstorm this thing out. So I'll jump, I'll jump in here. Um, I definitely don't have a list of, of general manager candidates. You know, I thought Maria was going to be at the top of the list. Um, you know, maybe she possibly was until uh, the mystics kind of decided to lock her in. I'd be very curious. Claire is definitely someone who I've read about. Um, but just kind of thinking about the decision that kind of lies in front of this new general manager. You know, of course, there's this off season. Of course, there's like, what's the new direction for the sun? You know, what does this new era look like? What is the style of play and kind of their new identity if they're going to get a new identity? Um, but I just think a really kind of big overarching question that the general manager will have to think about is um, how will they cement this franchise's future? You know, they've talked about the championship window that probably officially ends after this season because of all the, the contracts that are expiring. But um, and this is just my personal opinion. But like, how do you walk in John Quill Jones for the rest of her career? You know, if John Quill Jones is your franchise player, how do you make John Quill Jones your franchise player while also juggling all these other superstars you have on your team, like Alyssa Thomas, who, of course, you know, People have called her, I think it's Courtney Williams has called her like Miss Connecticut, Miss Connecticut basketball. Like Alyssa Thomas is the heart and the engine, but John Cole Jones is your MVP. You know, Jackie, you mentioned it a couple minutes ago. You know, she was a crazy MVP candidate in 2021 and then um, kind of had a dwindling role last year just because of the nature of their lineup and, and how they were forced to play. Um, you know, kind of how will they cement the success and what does it come down to, to, to keeping John Quell Jones on their roster for, for time to come while also, you know, how do they continue, how do they continue to have that storied success while also continuing to develop young players? I think that's something that's kind of been missing from Connecticut the last couple of seasons. Like when Kurt came in, you know, he told Howard the other day, he overachieved, you know, he didn't, they didn't really have a star to build around and he's developed Alyssa Thomas. He developed John Quill Jones, Jasmine Thomas, all Bree Jones, all these great superstars who are now on Connecticut's roster, you know, if Connecticut wants to continue success, you know, they probably don't want to be in the lottery the next couple of years. So what are those decisions? Like, how can they draft, you know, 
from round pick one, pick 10, pick 11, pick 12? How can they find those future stars and continue to develop those players while also cementing their franchise, franchise's future and the continued success they had? So that's my big point on, on the general I said, or you could just get a really good pick swap and be in the lottery without being a lottery team. I love this one. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, no, but I just had to say that. But I will say, you know, uh, Mike Tebow was talking yesterday about qualities to be a good general manager. Jackie was, I think this was your question, wasn't it? Um, and uh, and he basically said, you can't have a rookie in that spot. Uh, the person who comes in has to know the league inside and out. And he talked about this even going back a couple of years when the new CBA was signed and uh, we got kind of that first round of free agency and there were a lot of these big contracts and Mike Tivo was like, you're going to see some problems around the league in a couple of years because GMs aren't necessarily quite thinking long term enough. And so they're going to have a crunch um, now that they've committed to these big deals. So you need someone who's able to think forward like that and and really knows the ins and outs of the salary cap and contracts and kind of what the going rate is for a mid-tier player or, um, you know, an unsigned free agent or, you know, all of the different permutations and can really be flexible in constructing a roster. Um, so, so I think kind of a veteran presence is, is going to be important there. And then you, you kind of want somebody, you know, one, one element that's good about having a GM and a coach separate aside from the fact that it opens up a whole nother job and expands our league and gives people more time to be great um, is that there aren't uh, competing incentives. So Mike Tebow uh, in 2021 famously had a predicament where he wanted to cut some players before the midseason deadline so their contracts weren't guaranteed. But if he did that, he was going to have six healthy players for a game against the Connecticut Sun. Um, and so like GM Tebow was like, yeah, I need to cut these players. And head coach Tebow was like, do I really have to play a game with six healthy players? And GM Tebow won the day and they played with six healthy players and they got beat pretty badly. But it was uh, in his mind necessary for the future of the organization. So you need somebody who's as a GM uh, is kind of willing to take those risks and kind of like play the long game, um, even if. Uh, your coach might not be super thrilled with how it turns out in the short term. So you need someone with that, you know, veteran presence and kind of long-term strategic thinking there. Yeah. I mean, I guess we don't know where this is going to go, but I actually, I made a little list. So there are folks that are, um, their title is assistant general manager. And so as we mentioned around the league, Claire Duellius is an assistant general manager in Minnesota. Darius Taylor, who was an assistant coach with the dream, then stayed with the dream and became the assistant general manager underneath Dan Padover. Then you have Tanya Hawley, who has been with the WNBA in general. I mean, I think she was in some sort of back when the aces were the silver stars she did i think she was in athletic training but then she just like with maria jen uh tanya jump (laughs) which departments from you know being a athletic trainer into more of general managing so tanya holly is the assistant gm in vegas and then you have Ohima Nayim with the New York Liberty, who started out as that director of operations. And last year, she was promoted to assistant general manager. So there are a lot of these people floating around. There's even Vince Kozar, who is the president of the Phoenix Mercury. He's someone who I'm thinking about, too, because to be quite honest, Phoenix is a bit of a sinking ship. Um, I know that sounds quite blunt, but... Phoenix is going through an ownership change and there's a lot that's uncertain over there. Um, What I know about Vince Kozar is he has been in this league for a very long time and he cares about this league very much. So I don't know. Does he want more of a, a stable position in LA or in Connecticut? We will have to see. But that brings us to the end of our show what an all-star panel this was. We really, we covered so much ground. 
Thank you, listeners, for making Locked On Women's Basketball your first listen every day. And join us tomorrow. It's our draft lottery show. And Hunter Cruz, M. Adler, and Joshua Welch will be back. And they will be talking about some of the marquee college matchups from the week, along with assessing the prospects that competed in those games. And for your next listen, check out Locked On Sports today. The biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day. Available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. Well, that is our show. And a huge thanks to Jen Hatfield and Jacqueline LeBlanc, who made up this all-star panel to talk about the front office carousel in the WNBA. Ogumba Wallet for the win. You are locked on women's basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball.